Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Literary Quest. This week, we're discussing The Fellowship of the Ring, the first installment of the Lord of the Rings books by J.R.R. Tolkien. I will introduce our characters and locations and Vicki will take off with our plot. So we have Frodo Baggins. Frodo is our main character. He is the nephew and adopted heir of Bilbo Baggins. At the start of his great adventure, he is 50 years old. And due to his raising by Bilbo has always been considered a bit odd for a hobbit. He is joined on his adventure by Samwise Gamgee, who is his gardener friend and is also an advocate for him. Sam takes a very protective role of Frodo. Other hobbits are Mary Doc Brandybuck and Peregrine, Peregrine Took or Mary and Pippin, who are friends of Frodo and Sam, and they take off and join the fellowship with them in their quest to take the ring back to Mordor. We have Gandalf the Grey. He's a great ancient wizard who grew close to the Baggins during the adventures in The Hobbit with Bilbo and has stayed close with them ever since. He is wise, he is tall, he wears a gray cloak, a gray pointy hat. The other members of the fellowship include Strider, also known as Aragorn, son of Arathorn. He is a man and he serves as a ranger in the north protecting Middle-earth from bad things. And he is heir to the throne of men in Gondor, though he has not claimed that role. We have Boromir, who is also a man, and he is the son of Lord Denethor, who is the steward of Gondor and in desperate for a way to keep the enemies out and to keep Gondor's people safe. We have Legolas, who is an elf and the son of Thranduil, king of the elves in northern Mirkwood. Legolas is very skilled with a bow. And then we have Gimli, who is a dwarf and the son of Gwyn who is one of the company of dwarves that Bilbo joined in the Hobbit to liberate the Lonely Mountain from Smaug. Sauron is our big bad guy. Many moons ago, Sauron was sneaky and forged a magic ring that gave him immense power as he sought dominion over all life in Middle Earth. He was defeated when the ring was cut off his finger by, or cut off his hand by Isildur, who is Aragorn's ancestor. But the ring was never destroyed, and Sauron's life force and the foundations of Mordor are tied to the existence of the ring. So he was not actually destroyed. His power was just diminished. Now his power is growing again, and he is looking for the ring. We have another co-big bad guy, Saruman, the white wizard, who was head of the Magic Council in Middle-earth and supposed friend to Gandalf. So it turns out out that he actually wants the ring too and also to take over the world so another bad guy 
This book takes place in the realm of Middle Earth, all over Middle Earth. We spend a lot of time in this story in Hobbiton, where Bag End, which is Bilbo's Hobbit Hole, is located. But we also spend a lot of time in Rivendell, which is the home of the elves and Elrond in the mines of Moria, and in Lothlorien, which is another home of the elves and the Lady Galadriel. Vicki, please take off with our plot. Great. Um, and shout out to Sparknotes, because I'm just reading right from them. So thank you, Sparknotes. Thank and you, whoever, Sparknotes. <laughs> whoever was in charge of writing this. Um, so, okay. The story, here we go. The story of the Lord of the Rings begins with several events that take place in The Hobbit. While wandering lost deep in a cave, Bilbo Baggins, a hobbit, stumbles upon a ring and takes it back with him to the Shire, the part of Middle Earth that is the hobbit's home. All Bilbo knows of, knows of this ring is that wearing it causes him to become invisible. He is unaware that it is the one ring and is therefore oblivious to its significance and to the fact that Sauron has been searching for it. Now, the Fellowship of the Ring opens with a party for Bilbo's 111th birthday. Bilbo gives his ring to his heir, his cousin Frodo Baggins. When the time comes to part with the ring, however, Bilbo becomes strangely reluctant to do so. He gives up the ring only at the determined urging of his friend Gandalf the Grey, a great wizard. Gandalf suspects that the ring is indeed the One Ring of Legend. After confirming his suspicions, he tells Frodo that the ring must be taken away from the Shire as Sauron's power is growing once again. Frodo sets out from the Shire with three of his hobbit friends, Sam, Merry, and Pippin. Along the way, they are pursued by the nine ring wraiths, servants of Sauron, who take the form of terrifying black riders. The hobbits spend a night in the company of wandering elves, who promise to send word ahead to friends who will protect the hobbits. Barely out of the Shire, the hobbits get lost in the old forest, where they have to be rescued from a malevolent willow tree, which swallows up Merry and Pippin, and then from an evil tomb ghost. The hobbit's rescuer is Tom Bombadil, a strange jovial entity with great powers who is the oldest creature in Middle Earth. The hobbits make it to the town of Bree where they meet Aragorn, a ranger who roams the wilderness and who is the heir of the kings of the ancient men of Westernese. Those who do not know Aragorn's true name call him Strider. Frodo tries to keep a low profile at the inn in Bree, but he ends up causing a scene when while taking part in a rollicking rendition of a song, he falls, accidentally slips the ring onto his finger and vanishes. That night, Aragorn advises the hobbits not to sleep in their rooms at the inn. In doing so, he saves their lives for the first of many times. A letter Gandalf left at the inn months before, the, um, months before advises the group to head for Rivendell, a realm of the elves. Aragorn sets out with the hobbits the next day, and with his help, they avoid the Black Riders for some time. However, at the top of the hill Weathertop, the company is forced to defend itself against attacking riders. Frodo is wounded during the skirmish. Frodo's wound, made by a weapon of a servant of Sauron, plagues the hobbit as the company makes its way eastward. Aragorn is greatly concerned about the power the wound might exert over Frodo. Near Rivendell, they meet the elf lord Glorfindel, who has been out looking for them. At the last ford before Rivendell, Frodo, riding Glorfindel's horse, outruns the ambushing Black Riders, who are swept away in a flood created by Elrond, the master of Rivendell. Elrond heals Frodo and then holds a meeting to discuss what to do about the ring. 
During this council, Frodo learns the full history of the ring. Frodo accepts the burden of taking the ring to the only place it can be destroyed, the place where it was forged. It promises to be a long, nearly impossible journey as the ring was forged in the cracks of doom, part of the fiery mountain in the very heart of Sauron, Sauron's realm of Mordor. At the end of the meeting, the council creates a group to help Frodo in his quest. In addition to Frodo, the Fellowship of the Ring includes Sam, Merry, Pippin, Aragorn, Gandalf, an elf named Legolas, a dwarf named Gimli, and a man from the south named Boromir. The Fellowship heads south and attempts to pass over the Misty Mountains via the Pass of Caradhras. Their way is blocked by snow and rock slides, and they are forced to divert their path through the mines of Moria, the ancient underground realm of the dwarves. During the journey through Moria, Gandalf falls into a chasm while protecting the company from a Balrog, a terrible demon. The rest of the party continues on to Warren, the forest of the elves, where the Lady Galadriel tests their hearts and gives them gifts to help them on the quest. Frodo, spellbound by her power and wisdom, offers her the ring. She refuses, however, saying that despite her intentions, the ring would corrupt her, and ultimately she would only replace Sauron. The Fellowship travels by boat down the Great River. At night, they spot Gollum, a deformed creature that had once owned the ring, but then lost it to Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit. When they reach the falls of Rouse, the Fellowship must decide whether to head toward Mordor on the east or towards the safety of the city to the west. Boromir, overcome by the ring of power and desiring the ring for himself, confronts Frodo. Frodo fends off Boromir and decides that he must go on to Mordor rather than to the safety of, of the city. However, Frodo cannot bear the thought of imperiling his friends on the dangerous journey or allowing the ring to corrupt them. So he attempts to leave secretly and continue the quest alone. So we decided to discuss these books because Amazon has dumped a ton of money into like the most money they've ever spent on a show before into the rings of power show which they've developed and which will come out in september and i am i mean i i've been looking forward to this forever it feels like since they announced that this was a thing that they were doing and so i felt like this would be a good time to discuss these books because i love the lord of the rings story um, but also I, I kind of figured that there would be some information that kind of might come in handy um, with the premiere of the show. But it looks like a lot of the events that are going to be happening in the show will actually take place like way, 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 way before the events of The Lord of the Rings, <laughs> which is fine. Um, that's, that's fine. We get to see young Galadriel, it looks like, in Gil Galad who is dead than um, this story. And so looks like, I don't know if some of these things are going to be things that would be detailed in the Silmarillion. Um, I have never tried to read that one. I've heard that it reads like a history book. So. I believe Tito has read it. Yeah. He gatekeeps this book the series everything about it that doesn't <laughs> surprise me at all <laughs> surprise me at all 
he painted figurines. He did a really nice figurine for the Balrog of Morgoth. I remember mm -hmm. him posting it. Yeah, he does fantastic miniatures and stuff. But yeah, when I was reading the book, right, he was like then quizzing me. He was like, well, what happens with this? What happens with that? And I was like, seriously? Like, can I just read the book? Like, what the hell? Can I just enjoy this experience? Like, please stop. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Uh, so I started this and I was in a major book slump for whatever reason, but I was, once I got into it, I enjoyed reading it and it was fun. Um, I read the entire thing almost in Gandalf's voice from the movies. All right. And I don't know why. I mean, it was fine, well, I guess. I mean, Ian McKellen's voice as Gandalf is pretty spectacular, so. Yeah. The only, I had a hard time with not skipping songs in this book. I have set, I just was like, I just like skimmed over so many of them. Um, to be fair, <laughs> there were a lot of songs. <laughs> I mean, there were a ridiculous amount of songs in this book. There were so many freaking songs in this book. I was were... listening to it. And the so I listened to most of the time when I was reading this book, I was listening to it. And I feel like, and I felt this way when we did The Hobbit, this book is meant to be read aloud. The way the story is told, it works really nicely with, I don't know, with it being read. But in that, so I listened to the version that was narrated by Rob Inglis, which was spectacular. My friend Noah is listening to it right now, and he's listening to the version that was narrated by Andy Serkis, who played Gollum in the stories. And he said it was really good, too. But with that, the person actually sings the songs. And That's so, got to be better. Yeah, I feel like kind of like what you said, when the songs are text, like if I'm reading it, I'm much more likely to completely skip over it. Yeah, because you don't have like a tune in your head or anything mm -hmm. to read it to. Yeah. So because I was listening to it, I did actually listen to the songs that were part of the story, which I would probably not have done if I had been straight up reading it. I also think that because there is so much description in this book, which I'm not, I'm not bothered by, but because there is so much of it, it, it reads nicely. Whereas if I was just reading it from the book, I would probably start to skim some of those things mm -hmm. because I'm listening to it. It helps me to craft an image in my mind. But if I was like actually reading from a book, I would start to probably jump forward to some dialogue or something yeah and it's I I did that I did do that in some instances as well yeah um and I was I was reading it so I was skipping some of the songs and I was skipping some of the description and stuff some of it I was reading but it made me think of this there's this there's meme. one whole oh. there's one whole song that is an elvish and I was like are you kidding are you serious <laughs> am 
I supposed to rate this? <laughs> Why is it here? So we've talked about before how some authors, they tell you things, they don't show them to you, right? They say like this happened, this happened, blah, blah, blah. Well, this author is like, I'm going to tell you about it and then I'm going to show it to you. Like he could have just said the elves sang a song. But what he did was say, the elves sang a song and it was beautiful and glorious and their ears were blessed and blah, blah, blah. And this was the song and this is it in Elvish. And here's the translation to English too, which I appreciate. Like the writing is brilliant. It's so detailed and just the amount of effort that would go into, I don't know, creating a whole language for elves. I mean, to have that in your mind is genius. But wow. Tito sent me this meme one time where it was like, editor. So this is like to J.R. Dickens or whatever. It's his editor. Describe a, a, a tree in five words or less. Tolkien, no. <laughs> like yeah. that's his response. <laughs> he was like, because he does, he takes so long to describe things. And it's great though. The descriptions are great when you read them. It's like magical and stuff. And it sounds great. But there's a lot of it. There is a there's lot, a of, lot it. of it. There's also like 10 maps in this book. Yes. And I, I love a map. Mm-hmm. I've gotten to the- a lot of maps. <laughs> I've gotten to the point where every time I see a map though, in my head, I go map, like yeah. yellow in my head map. Like as if I'm pointing out something amazing. And it's like, I do a lot love of maps, maps, but yes, it is a lot. You add in their notes. If I read the foreword, I read part of the foreword in this book because it was long and I thought well there might be some important information here and I didn't realize that all of these books were actually meant to be released as part like it's not like three parts of a series it's meant to be one whole long book but he released it kind of in chronicles like this Mm -hmm. it's not book one book two book three it's like all one thing but because of the way it was released it's like oh book one book two book three yeah no the foreword was long there's like the whole history of the publishing of this book and the issues that Tolkien ran into with editors changing the way that he spelled stuff and other stuff and I was like all right I get it this dude had a time trying to get it published the way he wanted sorry my Uh, man I also did not read the prologue this I read it when I first started this book when I first read this book when I was in high school I read uh, everything mm-hmm. I did not do that this time it's 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 long it's like 25 pages of an extensive history of hobbits and their like whole history and the weed that they smoke and the neighborhoods that they live in and what their clothes are like and what happened in the Hobbit? And this time I just said, you know, I think I'm good. <laughs> I read about half of it. And then I was like, I don't like, why is there so much of this? I was like, a yeah. brief description would have been great. You know, it would have been, it was really helpful, you know? Um, but no, this went into like the years and everything like dates. And I was just like, oh, yeah, you know what? I think I'll just move on. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of detail, which mm-hmm. again goes back to that like use five words to describe something. Nope, not mm-hmm. Tolkien. Nope, nope. 25 pages of Hobbit history. All right, mm-hmm. that's fine. 
time. There was some interesting information there that I hadn't realized or I'd forgotten about. Hobbits are only two feet. I thought they yeah. were taller than that. I mean, that's really short. They're like, well, they're between no. two and four feet. Okay. So, and they get smaller as they mm -hmm. age. Right. So they, and they used to be taller. It's like, they've gotten shorter as time has gone on, but mm -hmm. yeah, they're little. Yeah. I didn't realize how little, I mean, that's like what up to your knee. Is that two no. feet? Maybe a little know. higher. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either, but anyway, a lot shorter. They're and then, small. yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I did like, cause you mentioned the weed, the pipe weed. I was like, are they just high all the time? Cause that would explain why they eat like multiple meals <laughs> like this. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I mean, but if they're that small, they might metabolize energy really quickly. Then maybe that's why they eat all the time. They that's just... true. This book starts off with Bilbo's birthday party. Mm -hmm. He is so like petty and sassy. I know he was fantastic. He, he invites like, I don't know, a small party. So at least a hundred, he, for, he invites like everybody, but for the inner circle of people, his little inner tent, 111 of his best friends. Mm -hmm. And then he gets there and he's like, thanks for coming. He says this. I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's just great. What a way. Well then, and then at the end of the party, he's like, all right, this is it. I'm gone. Bye. Mm. <laughs> and it's just very pleased with himself for psyching everybody out at this party. And then he... Uh, because so because he has left people get very proprietary about the things they think they deserve from him and he is so snarky and petty and the gifts that he leaves for people and that frodo has to give out and i think it is hysterical for mm -hmm. one of his relatives adelard Duke. he leaves his very own umbrella because adelard had carried off a bunch of umbrellas that weren't his he left someone else a pen and a pot of ink because they never returned letters. And for Lobelia Sackville Baggins, who was stealing his spoons when he got back in the events in The Hobbit, he left a case of silver spoons. Like, <laughs> I love Bilbo. <laughs> because that makes me think when um, Frodo is about to leave, right? He sells the house to mm -hmm. Sackville Baggins. And she's like looking around and taking inventory and everything. And it mentions he didn't offer her a cup of tea. <laughs> like, Damn, Frodo. Burn. Yep. Yep. I love Carrying that. Some of that, that pettiness. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. It was great. There's like a decent amount of time between Bilbo's birthday party and Frodo leaving. Oh, yeah. Like mm -hmm. 17 years that's crazy to me I don't like what are the hobbit traditions or whatever it's wild to me that Bilbo's like okay I'm leaving and is gone and is still alive just 
wandering the world that that's it no letters to Frodo like hey I'm still alive here's a postcard I've been hanging with my dwarf friends it just seems like a very abrupt way to end a relationship with your closest relative pretty good way to go out I guess just like okay like I mean he kind of tells them though that he's not going to be like in contact with them he sets the expectations appropriately Oh, yeah. It just seems very odd. I don't know. What do I know? He's considered an odd hobbit. So maybe that's part of it. But Mm -hmm. it's I mean, he had a good relationship with Frodo. It just strikes me as being strange that he was like, that was the end. That's it. So 17 years pass. And everything's good. Mm -hmm. Gandalf shows up a few times and he's like hey Frodo do you still have the ring and Frodo's like yep got it Gandalf says good don't wear it ever do you realize if somebody said that's me I would be like yeah I'm gonna put that on like immediately yeah it's gonna be like the first thing I do as soon as I leave the room (laughs) yeah yeah oh Gandalf don't put it on don't ever put it on. And then he finally comes back and is like, okay, we got to do something because things are much more serious than I thought they were. Turns out your grand, your uncle has had this magic, dangerous ring that could destroy the world just in his pocket for 60-ish years. So... You're going to need to leave. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And what I like is that, so in the story, we found out really early on how, you know, we know how Bilbo got the ring, but we find out how Sneagol or Gollum got it. He killed his best friend, Deagle, because he wanted it he was greedy he wanted it and uh, so in my mind as I'm reading this I'm comparing everything to the movies because I have seen them no joke probably a hundred times they are my comfort watch and so everything I'm comparing to the movies and I like that we address how Gollum got the ring early on I hate this scene in the movies it's it's how the third movie opens up and uh, it's like the first five minutes and I skip it every time I watch it because it's so traumatizing the brutality that this ring inspired in Gollum to strangle his best friend to death and then we see how he becomes Gollum and living in the cave and the degradation of his body and the changes it undergoes as he's eating raw fish in a cave and I just hate it yeah it's disturbing Gollum in general is just he's a disturbing character very troubling Mm -hmm. yeah so I find it interesting so the ring preserves like how you look so it's in okay so Bilbo doesn't change his appearances right the whole time he has this ring and then Frodo has it and he doesn't either but Bilbo mentions that he feels old yeah 
And that's really interesting to me. And then also to see how this transfers over to Gollum, right? So I've been out here being like, mm, Gollum should have, I think, probably stayed more of the same to what he looked like when he was alive than he did. Now he's like looking like Gollum. Um, and I think um, he's like 600 years old. I want to know, yeah. we never, I don't think we ever get this, but like, how does he feel? Because like Bilbo felt his age. And yeah, he's 600 years old. So what is he feeling? Well, I don't think we're, yeah, I think it, I think that in part because of the age and because he spent so long alone, Bilbo had the ring for 60 years, 70 mm. years. No, 60 years, 111. He was like 50 when he got it. So Bilbo had the ring for 60 years and he, I do think he ages a little bit, right? I don't think that he stops aging completely, but he does start to feel old. Mm-hmm. And so, and then that, uh, progresses much more rapidly when he loses the ring, uh, when he gives it to Frodo. I don't think that Gollum in the state of mind that he exists in now would be capable of describing how he feels, right? He's so desperate to, and that's part of it because he had the ring for so long. It's almost like a dependency, right? Mm -hmm. So he wants it back. He's developed this, uh, almost like a relationship with this thing. You can think like Tom Cruise and Wilson, the Mm -hmm. volleyball, right? So he had this relationship with this ring for hundreds and hundreds of years and then he also lived in the dark in a cave for hundreds of years and existed on raw fish for hundreds of years and so I think I mean you know we don't have any way to say like well what would Bilbo have looked like if he had had the ring for 500 or 600 years but I mean We know when you don't exist in the sun for long periods of time that it's going to affect the way your skin looks, right? Mm -hmm. We know that if you live in a cave, in the bottom of a cave, in a watery environment for hundreds of years, it's going to affect the way that you look too. Mm -hmm. So I don't think we can apply the way that Bilbo looks (laughs) after having it for 60 years is the same as what we would apply. The situations are different. I think that Gollum having the ring for so long in the way that he acts, and we don't get to see quite as much of it in this book, but it really reinforces the deterioration mentally that possession of the ring has, right? Mm-hmm. Because even yeah. just the knowledge of the ring for Boromir, for example, um, just the knowledge that the ring exists has an incredible impact on his behavior. Mm-hmm. And so then that makes me wonder, like, does that speak to the strength of the person or the strength of their will? Because Strider is able to interact with Frodo and doesn't have that same time. And so same type of, de- of desperation and the other people in the company as well. Um, I feel confident that Gandalf, the first of all, I love how sassy Gandalf is. We get some of that in the movies, 
especially directed towards Pippin. Um, but I feel like Gandalf would probably be saying, you stupid bitch to <laughs> everyone, but Strider. <laughs> I know, like. <laughs> I mean, just like everyone is dumb. <laughs> um, I was driving to work one day and saying that to because I don't know if it's like intrusive thoughts or what that people are actually acting on, but there are so many dumb things that these characters do. And I'm saying out loud, you stupid bitch. Why did you do that? <laughs> I know. Frodo, for example, just sticking the ring on because he wants to play a prank on everybody with their, when they're at Tom Bombadil's house. Mm-hmm. Frodo, you idiot. Why did you do that? Or on Weathertop when they're hiding and Frodo's like, oh, I'm going to stick the ring on. <laughs> I I know he just yeah Gandalf would just be exhausted with them I feel like too yes. yeah it's probably a good thing that he was not with him this whole time he might have just booted them off the side of the mountain <laughs> just hear him doing a lot of like exasperated sighing like hobbits again hobbits why yes. do I endorse them so much? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's a lot. But there are several things where, again, I think, is this an intrusive thought? Like, why did you do this? And I wonder if it's just that, you know, and they talk about how hobbits are inquisitive, curious creatures. Mm-hmm. So, um, for example, Pippin, when they are in the mines of Moria, he looks down a well and he's like, huh. And he picks up a rock and drops it in there. <laughs> like, why? why would you do that? Why would you do that, Pippin? And then Boromir does the same stupid thing. He picks up a rock and throws it in the lake where the, the sea creature thing is. Like, why would you do that? No. Now, some, some of the things that Frodo did that were stupid were not entirely his fault part of it was like the ring pushing him to because the ring wants to get discovered right right and so part of it was the ring pushing him to put the ring on so it could get discovered because it wants to go back to its master yeah I'm wondering if also part of their impulsivity I guess Mm -hmm. um has to do with the fact that you know they grew up in or they've spent their whole lives in the shire there's no real threat or danger they have to worry about. And so it's kind of an adjustment for them to think like, oh, throwing something down a well could possibly wake something up and get us killed. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like Frodo has been warned enough. I mean, you would think it sure doesn't seem that way, though. When they're in Moria and they get attacked by there's that troll that comes like it storms their room or whatever and Boromir gets and so Frodo little Frodo with his little butter knife sword jumps out and says for the shire and he attacks the troll and stabs it in the foot and it throws him in the wall like child <laughs> okay I mean yes you did hurt the troll and it was helpful but this- I don't, I just don't, don't think you planned as well. So I saw this BuzzFeed article, right? And it was something about like major plot holes and like really famous movies or books. 
And one was that they should have just left the ring with Gollum because it was fine forever and like nobody would find it. But I was like, clearly you haven't read the book or even really watched the movies. I'm pretty sure it is explained in the movies too that the ring wants to be found. Like, yeah, it would have been found either way. And it can be sensed and stuff. So they would just be able to find it. Just stays in one spot with Gollum. Yeah. No, the ring is definitely, a sentient is not the right word, but it has a purpose and it wants to fulfill its purpose. And so I talk about how the ring chose to go with Bilbo, basically. That was orchestrated. It was by design of the ring and the dark power. Do you think that uh, J.K. Rowling took some of her inspiration from yes, yes, the Harry yes. Potter books from this? Oh, yes, very much so. Yeah, like the bad guy was destroyed when they took the ring from his hand and they thought evil was gone, but it wasn't really gone and he wasn't really dead because this thing was still alive. And mm-hmm. yeah, that sounds yeah. a whole lot like Harry Potter. Yeah, well, that's one of Tita's issues with, with her is because he's like, it's just Lord of the Rings except dumbed down for like children. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, there are some, oh my gosh, Ron is Sam. Oh, yeah. So we talked a bit before about um, the author's descriptions, right? And there's one description in here that I loved so much. And it was just his description about the elves and how you could see like starlight glimmering on their hair and that they shimmered like the light of the moon. I loved that. There is something about that that just like I loved. It was so easy to picture. And yeah, I was like, I want to be an elf. Because that sounds awesome. Um, I have wanted to be an elf since I was five years old. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Ever yeah. since, was it the Santa Claus? Mm-hmm. Ever since the Santa Claus. <laughs> there are two hobbits that get mentioned in the, and I can't, one of them is Fatty Bulger, I think. And the other one is Fredford or something. I don't know. Two hobbits that get mentioned that never show up in the movies. So that was different. But I do think it's interesting because they seem to be. So the dynamics between the hobbits are really interesting here because we get the vibe that Frodo's best friends are Mary and Pip and those two other hobbits. And then there's just Sam. And then there's Sam. Their relationship is odd or just interesting to me. I agree and I I don't totally understand it because like so Mary and Pippin and Frodo and those other hobbits um they all kind of converse as friends right they're all unequal but then Sam always calls Frodo master not always but he does call him master and it's like okay so there's like some power dynamic thing going in here like what what's happening like Sam seems to really love Frodo which great Mm -hmm. it's great to have friends like that and who really love you but at the same time like Frodo definitely does not seem to love Sam as much like you said he even kind of excluded Sam from his friend list and also Sam ends up doing most of the heavy lifting let's be real yeah he does and I don't know if it's because, so I, I feel like their friendship is more one-sided on Sam's part. So Sam seems to have this very strong attachment to Frodo and it's almost like Frodo 
like he acknowledges the attachment, but it's not the same. Like the depth of his feeling for Sam doesn't seem to be the same. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's because maybe Frodo sees Sam as more of an employee than a friend because Sam is his employee. He's his gardener. He tends to his lawn and, and Sam kind of grew up with Frodo a little bit and he has sort of a different relationship with him maybe because Bilbo is the one that taught Sam how to read and he's the one that kind of pulled Sam in and shared his stories with him and stuff like that and so maybe he feels indebted just to the Baggins for the role that they had in his life or maybe in his education and so that's where that difference in their relationship comes in. Maybe. Sam is just so devoted to Frodo. Yeah. Like almost like, bizarrely devoted to Frodo. Yeah. Like at one point when they're getting ready to leave Rivendell and Sam is going through his pack of things, he packed things that Frodo forgot to bring so that he could pull them out when he and like it's described as pulling them out in like a victorious moment when he needs them so that he can be lauded or celebrated which I mean I know they're friends but this seems like a romantic gesture to me yeah and then there's that one scene where Frodo wakes up or whatever and Sam takes his hand and caresses it and blushes Mm -hmm. and I was like okay and then it's like oh your hand's not cold anymore and I'm like all right I guess like that makes sense I don't it was just like this is a why is he blushing like yeah. I was like what? I don't know I don't know I don't know if it's like we read a lot of romance so I don't know if this is a scene romance where it's not there because this is how romantic interactions are described in romance novels or if I don't know I don't think Tolkien intended for there to be romantic feelings between these characters but it reads that way a little bit it does at least on Sam's on on Sam's part yes Mm -hmm. not on Frodo's part you know they don't mention Sam having like any other friends so maybe that's also part of it. Like Frodo has multiple yeah. friends, but Sam just has Frodo. So maybe that's part of it. And he's like, I have, yeah. yeah, he's like, I have one friend. I have to dote on them so yeah. that they will remain my friend. Mm-hmm. I really like Sam mm-hmm. and how protective he is of Frodo at times. I also really liked uh, Mary, Mary Adok. I don't remember him being as useful in the the movies as he seems to be in the books, but he's like a quiet one that stays in the room when everyone wants to go down to the bar room and he goes for walks at night and he knows how to use a boat and he's checking around to make sure everything's okay. And his role seems to be a little bit more developed in this story, at least. And then Pippin is still kind of an idiot. Oh, Pippin. Yeah. Speaking of things that kind of got left out of the movie, um, like completely left out of the movie, the whole scene with Tom Bombadil, it's like mm-hmm. a significant portion of the story. Yep. 
a lot of things that happen with Tom and Tom is super cool too. I know that this is not how he is described at all either, but I imagine the Muppet from, from the Muppet Christmas Carol, the ghost of Christmas um, present. Mm -hmm. That is who I picture as Tom Bombadil with blue pants. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, his scene was great though. He just gives off this holly jolly vibe, but also like he gives off original being vibe. Like he is impervious to time. He's been around since the beginning of time. He is so old and powerful and beyond anything else in this realm that the the ring doesn't even have like any power over him yes yeah i thought that was that was fun although this was also one of the moments where i was like frodo why are you just handing the ring over to someone like he didn't know him that well at the time no Frodo does that a lot where he's like, well, here's the ring to Tom Bombadil. And then at the Council of Elrond, when Strider, you know, they talk about how Strider's ancestors were meant to have the ring and Frodo's like, oh, so it's yours. And then again with Galadriel later on, he's like, do you want it? I'll give it, it to you if you want it. He just doesn't want the responsibility. Frodo doesn't ring. want this ring. Frodo wants to go home. He has had enough adventure. He's tired. He mm -hmm. he was, you know, just getting the ring to Rivendell was a challenge and he's good. He doesn't want it. <laughs> he says, I wish this had never come to me. And Gandalf is like, so does everyone who experiences hard stuff. Tough titties, my friend. <laughs> yeah. No. Frodo is super. I don't I don't even know what to I just get. I mean, I know that they at one point they say like Gandalf thinks that Frodo is the best of the hobbits. And I'm not, but really? Mm -hmm. Is he? And then there's that whole other scene with the Barrow Whites too, where they get attacked. Oh yeah. I just feel like they should have been leashed. I feel like someone should have put leashes on the hobbits. <laughs> yes, but them in their packs and stuff, you know, they have those backpacks that are also leashes for children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Someone should have tied them all together and made them because what they get attacked by the Barrow Whites when they get separated. I mean, to be fair, Gandalf was just kind of like, okay, go here. Did not give them very much instruction. No, they, he, like, no, they really didn't have him. And Frodo was going to do it alone. Oh my God. He would have died immediately. Can you imagine? <laughs> yes. Frodo did not even make it out of the Shire. <laughs> he just gave the ring away to the first person who asked <laughs> for it <laughs> and went back to his hobbit hole. <laughs> and lived happily ever after. So they managed to make it to uh, Bree mm -hmm. and they go to the prancing pony mm -hmm. and very, very audibly are talking about their plans. And Frodo's like, okay, don't call me Baggins. Call me Underhill. <laughs> Strider, like he, like people hear it. All right. 
okay, whatever. So they make it to the prancing pony. And it's, I mean, it's just a shit show. Yeah. So much of it is awful. Oh, God. So this is like Pippin. Frodo gets worried because Pippin is like almost immediately just telling their tale. Right. After they're like, so they they're hanging out in the room and Mary's like, all right, let's keep a low profile. I'm going to stay here. Y'all yep. just be cool. Mm-hmm. And then go ahead. Pippin is like. Yeah, he's like, how you put hold my beer? Like, yeah. Just goes out and is like, well, let me tell you this story. Like, Come yes. on, dude. No. Yeah. yeah. Stop. Yes. So if Pippin is like, hold my beer, Frodo's like, hold my keg. Like he jumps on a table Mm -hmm. to draw attention off Pippin, which immediately brings it onto him. Instead of just being like, Pippin, shut up. Jumps on a table and is like, thank you for being so kind to us. Now I will serenade you. And then he falls off and the ring accidentally slips onto his finger and he vanishes. Like literally disappears. Giant red flag. (laughs) I just, Uh, you shouldn't be so bad at blending in. Y'all are tiny. They're like two feet tall. Uh, And Strider's just probably watching all this like, oh my God, these are the people who have been (laughs) ring that could destroy like, everything this so is gonna be like hurting cats we're already dead <laughs> this is the end <laughs> we're just prolonging the inevitable mm-hmm. i do love that he calls so we get a sassy strider too like the vibe in the movie versus the the, the book is very different things are really serious in the movies and it comes through like very serious vibe Whereas we get a lot more character sass in the books and there, the vibe is just a lot more lighthearted, but Strider, he calls them out. He Frodo like slinks after he disappears and shows back up, he slinks over and sits by Strider and Strider's like, why did you do that? That's worse than anything your friends could have done or could have said. And he says, I guess you really put your foot in it. Didn't you? Or your finger in it. <laughs> Like he calls them out. And then later on, he follows them to their room and is like, all right, I, you're going to need me to go with you because I literally don't think you can survive this. And Sam starts to question him and he's like, well, what do we know about you? And blah, blah, blah. And Strider's like, oh yeah, now you finally started to be a little more cautious <laughs> to think about it. Yup. Good questions that you're asking there. Mm-hmm. Way to start being smart points are trying and then we find out it's kind of along the same time because this is what convinces them to trust strider right um the innkeeper butterbur is that how you say it yeah i think so butterbur whatever yeah so the innkeeper butterbur um it's like oh hey gandalf left this letter for you like six months ago pretty much (laughs) and they're like oh okay thanks they read it right and it's Gandalf being like you have to leave before the end of July meanwhile they set out like end of September 
right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then it mentions Strider. And so they're like, oh, okay, we can trust you now. But like Gandalf mentions that he knew like in the letter that he knows that the innkeeper or whatever wouldn't um was kind of flaky why would you entrust a letter to him that that I important mean, like he so important didn't have anyone else that he could give it to there must he have been someone else there must have been someone else there's no one else couldn't he give it to one of the eagles no the eagles are not like carrier pigeons they're <laughs> not just around they're not you just hanging out. Carrier pigeon? No, that's not. And that's, I, I feel like I see this argument a lot where people are like, why didn't the eagles I know, just the eagles. fly Frodo well, that's to Mordor? That way it was, I was joking more, but, and there's like tons of reasons behind that because it'd be like rude to the eagles. Like they're not, like you said, carrier pigeons or anything. They're not to ride. Like they're in the sky. They'd get shot down really easily. Yeah, no, there are tons of reasons. I get it. Mm-hmm. But there must have been, like, I mean, no one else. Don't they have a male, like, a male Well, and then he forgot about it. <laughs> I mean, he it's just Butterbur. so... Butterbur was going to have someone deliver it to him, but he couldn't get anyone that was going towards the Shire. And then he forgot that he had it until the Hobbit showed up. And he was like, oh, no. Can we talk about how Strider carries around a, bur- a broken sword? Sure. Let's go ahead. I feel like that is extremely impractical. (laughs) I feel like he can get it. It's an heirloom, but yeah, I was going to say, I feel like he carries around sort of as like, you know, a comfort object. Okay. Sort of. Sure. (laughs) I just feel like it's very impractical. Yeah. You have the other shards of the sword with, is it like in a backpack? Like, well, this is the point. And this is the middle part of the sword. And then here is the handle. And eventually we're going to put them all back together, but we're waiting. We're waiting for the right time. But do you want to see the pieces? I'll pull them out. (laughs) I just feel like it's an odd thing. Mm -hmm. I understand why it's been passed down from generation to generation. It's an object of power that represents his ancestors and a silver and the thing that cut the finger off of Sauron. And like, I get it. It just seems extremely impractical. And I hope that this is not his only weapon. Like a bunch of stuff happens. And like Frodo gets stabbed by uh magic oh yeah they're being Blade. chased by one of the wraiths or all of the wraiths half of the wraiths mm. yeah yeah um he gets stabbed and it like slowly starts to like turn him into a wraith right mm-hmm. i think is kind of what's happening um so they're like oh no and they get found by the elf and they're like oh no he's like all right well we got to get you to the healing like rivendell right and they do manage to make it there and there's like a giant flood that comes and it's really interesting so gandalf mentions later on he was like oh i don't know if you noticed my like nice touch of sending like white horses and stuff through the um water like making the water shaped that way to scare off the black riders mm-hmm. um so that all happens and then they're in Rivendell. 
Yeah, I felt bad for the horses. I know. I was like, really? I always feel bad for the animals. Like, they can't help it that their riders are bad people, that they get killed, they get swept away, and they find all of their dead bodies at the end of the river. And I just felt really bad, especially because we know, like, horses are special in this world. I know. They're not just regular horses. They're like cool horses. And so I felt bad for them. Like I always feel bad for the animals. Um, You also mentioned the animals though. And um, it made me think of when they're about to go into the mines, right? And Sam's horse, um, Bill, which by the way, great name for a horse. He's like, no, mm-hmm. I can't like leave him. He's followed us around and like it'll be basically murder leaving him, you know, here um for the wolves and Gandalf is just like says like some sort of spell where he's like find your way back to um Elrond or wherever you want to go, right? Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I appreciated him taking care of the pony. It's interesting when I get to Rivendell, the events occur in a way that's kind of different from what happens in the movie and I really like how things are presented in the book so they have a council it's the council of Elrond and each person present is seeking counsel for something that ties all of the events surrounding the ring together which I think is interesting the hobbits have the ring right so obviously they're trying to figure out what to do with it But also, Legolas is there because the elves lost Gollum. (laughs) The dwarves are there because they're not sure what to do about Balin and Moria because Balin disappeared 30 years ago and suddenly they're worried about, okay, whatever. (laughs) And then Boromir, Boromir needs help because Gondor is being attacked and Strider is there to make sure that the world doesn't fall apart. And so is Gandalf, but also Saruman is now a bad guy. And so Gandalf is there to convey that information. And so all of their issues are interconnected and related to the ring. And I like how that is presented here. Whereas in the movie, we have the ring, but Elrond has summoned people from all of these races to help figure out what to do with it. Mm hmm. It gets a problem for all of humanity, which it is. But I think the way that this is presented in this book really nicely ties together how much of a problem it is for everybody and how connected they all really are and how much of a problem this is in its impact and the ramifications for other people. There's also that like, feeling of serendipity that they've all come together because of these issues and they're all related to the same thing it's like the Mm -hmm. universe is saying hey you need to come together that council meeting though too where um Frodo reluctantly accepts the the, uh ring because there's just like a long awkward pause yeah and he's like I guess I'll do it but yeah my uh, oh I see you made a note um about it you want to talk about it yeah so there Elrond is explaining like the history of the ring and all of this stuff and the ancestry and at some point again Frodo is like oh so it's not my problem it's 
Strider's problem. Aragorn's problem. It's his family's ring. It's his fault. And Elrond is like, no, no. It's definitely your problem. <laughs> but they're talking about like something is going to have to be done with it. And Bilbo says, all right, all right. I'll come out of retirement. <laughs> like you got me. I'll do, I, you know, I found it in the first place. This is my fault. I was hoping I could just die out here in peace and finish my book. But fine, you've convinced me. <laughs> Um, dust off my traveling cloak and we'll go just dump this ring into the mountain <laughs> oh bilbo oh he's so dramatic he is uh-huh. so dramatic and elrond is like no 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 mm-hmm. sorry my dude but you are in fact too old for this now <laughs> <laughs> You're going to need to stay retired. Just finish your book and it's going to, it's going to be fine. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Also, and yes. Yeah. So Frodo is finally like, yeah, I guess I'll do it. I don't know how to get there, but fine. Whatever. I'll take it. And then like, and everyone is fine with the plan to destroy the ring. They're like, all right, I guess it needs to be done. So let's do it. The alternative is to just leave it here. And, and we're all going to die if we do that. So let's do that. And so they go over extensively why the ring has to be destroyed. Like no one can wield it. It corrupts everything. Nobody has the power. And then Boromir almost immediately suspicious over here is like, Ah, but it's just a little ring. Like, is it really that bad? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes, Boromir, it is in fact that bad. Did you not hear anything that we just said? But also he did, he did travel for 110 days to get there. That's a really long time to be traveling and then be told that the thing that might help you actually is going to have to be destroyed. I might feel a little desperate too in his case. That's true. It's a long time to travel. It is. Yeah. And then they're like, it's a ring. And this is a hobbit who's going to be, he's like two feet tall and he's in, he's in charge. Yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, Boromir is thinking like, I could just huck this kid over my shoulder and carry him back to Gondor. (laughs) I could just stick him in a backpack and carry him. (laughs) Oh, he'd probably give me the ring if I asked nicely. He would. Yeah. Who's going to know? Who's going to know? Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to (laughs) know. Yeah. No, it's more that I don't like Boromir because he's kind of a dick to like everybody, but especially Aragorn. Yeah. I do love, and I wish that, so, you know, Bilbo's at Rivendell. He's just been there. Like couldn't send a letter at any point to say like this, this is what I'm doing. Frodo hope you're well. He's just been, you know, writing his book which is still not finished despite him being gone for 17 years. It's still he has the ending though. He has the ending. 
he lived happily ever after. <laughs> so original. <laughs> well, I like when he's talking about like, oh, how if he, he's coming out of retirement. And he mentions like, I guess my book, I'll, I'll have to have a different ending or something like that. Like, yeah. Just finish, yes. just finish yeah. your book, dude. <laughs> just finish it. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, yeah. So we catch up with Bilbo. He's just been, you know, like going to see his friends and adventuring. And it seems like he's had a really close relationship with Aragorn. And I would love an excerpt that captures some of their interactions because we get the sense that they're really good friends. Like he's Mm -hmm. Aragorn has helped Bilbo with some of his rhymes and Bilbo is very defensive of him when uh, Boromir starts to call him into question and his heritage and things like that. And he also coins the uh, rhyme about Aragorn and his future uh, that starts with all that is gold does not glitter, not all those who wander are lost and so on. And so I feel like um, they must have had some type of, I don't know, relationship or friendship develop over time for Bilbo to feel this strongly about him. I just, I feel like it would have been cute or something like that would be cute to read. Mm-hmm. I agree. I also love that when they're getting ready to leave Rivendell and Mm. Bilbo is seeing them off his words to Frodo as he's getting ready to go are like, I know that you probably won't be able to keep track of or journal the things that are happening, but if you could just like really remember the high points, because I'm going to want to take notes when you get back. He's so dedicated to chronicling and to storytelling, which I love and I think it's great. And I also think that that does end on like a hopeful note, right? Like he's saying, I'm going to see you again and you're going to have stories to tell me. So it's not so much like you're leaving for this terrifying adventure and going to your death. Like you're going to have things to say to me when I see you again. Yeah. So just a note, I guess, about wizards. Why do they always speak in riddles? It kind of makes me think of the songs too. You know, like the songs kind of tell these stories, but they're not like straight up about what's going on sometimes, right? Wizards too. Why? Why do they always speak in riddles? Yeah, that's just basically like- what Henry Cavill says to um, Stregobor in that first episode of The Witcher that came out. Mm-hmm. Speak normally. Yes right it's just it's canon for some reason just like wolf shifters being jerks like it's canon that wizards are frustrating to talk to Mm -hmm. you have a note here that dumbledore is like that too and uh, yup they're like all of harry potter it's like let me give you the least amount of information (laughs) i can give you Mm -hmm. and we'll see what you do with it I do think Mm -hmm. oh go ahead no I was gonna say and then they do something wrong and it's like well I told you like what no no I do think that Gandalf does give them quite a bit of information there are times when he's pretty ambiguous and I think part of that's just him not sharing all of his plans yeah I feel like Gandalf is one of the better wizards in terms of that like he also just seems to have like more personality I guess I don't know there's this 
one scene where they're trying they're trying to get into the mines right Mm -hmm. and he can't figure out the password and so he pretty much throws like a temper tantrum and like throws his staff down and is like Mm -hmm. all upset he's like all right and he's like he's pretty entertaining (laughs) Yeah. yeah he is I Gandalf is one of my favorite characters I love him Mm-hmm. Um, when they go into the mines of Moria, you know, he's navigating them. He's trying to think back in all of the long history of the things that he has seen in this cave under this mountain for like how they should figure out where they're supposed to be going. They run into some danger and he's like, it's, it's, you know, he's, it's going to be okay. But then he runs into the Balrog, which is not a demon or a foe that he has faced before. And so I like that, even though he's this character that's super talented and powerful and things like that, he's also willing to, I don't know, he, I think it's expressing some vulnerability and saying like, this is not something that I'm prepared for and have never faced before. And I don't actually think I'm strong enough to do this. Yeah. For someone who's lived for thousands of years and they have to run into something new like that, like that's a lot. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. But then we get to the scene and this is one of my favorite scenes in the story. They get to the scene with Gandalf and the bridge of Casadun and the Balrog of Morgoth. And the Balrog is this giant winged black flaming horned demon monster type of thing. So we have this, and then we have this geriatric wizard in a pointy <laughs> hat who's shouting, you cannot pass, <laughs> like you can't go past this. And I think it creates really nice imagery because Gandalf says, you know, I've never, I'm not strong enough to defeat this, but he's so brave mm-hmm. and he doesn't back down and he knows that. I mean, he may not be strong enough, but everyone else in his company certainly is not strong enough. So can I just give them time to make it? Can I maybe save myself in this situation? I think that really highlights his bravery and his courage. Um, And the fact that even though he isn't sure that he's strong enough to overcome it, he still tries. Yeah. And I think it highlights how powerful he really is because he is almost successful. And his speech, it exci- like gives me chills. It excites me every time. So he says, I am the servant of the great fire, wielder of the flame of honor. You cannot pass. The dark fire will not avail you. A flame of Udun. Go back to the shadow. You cannot pass. And he breaks the bridge and the Balrog falls into this cavern. And like, we think we're home free, except that the uh, Balrog has a whip and he grabs hold of Gandalf and he falls into the cavern and everybody thinks that he's dead. I just love the image that is created in that scene. Also, this is going to sound ridiculous, but they posted a picture of the Balrog, of a Balrog on uh, one of the images that they're releasing uh, from the Rings of Power on their Instagram page. And I feel like this is maybe a sign that I've been reading too many monster romances because 
Oh no. And my third thought was like, yes, daddy. <laughs> it's so bad. Once you start reading like monster romances and you get out of like the human fae thing, everything turns into like, oh, can I fuck it? He's got a whip like- and horns. <laughs> Let me hold on to those horns, sir. Like... <laughs> I have to look up this picture now. Uh, I'll take a picture of it and start screenshot it and send it to you. Okay. Okay. Maybe I have a problem. I don't. I, I don't even know. <laughs> it's so bad because it's so true. You start reading these books and it's just everything like ends up being like, is it fuckable? <laughs> like, yeah. Can I have sex with this? Yeah. Uh, It's funny, though. Gandalf dies, allegedly. Mm -hmm. And they escape the mines of Moria. Mm -hmm. Then they make their way to Lothlorien. And I want to live here. Because it's beautiful all year, but especially in the spring and the summer and in the autumn, the leaves don't fall. They turn to gold. Mm Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't want to live here? They get there and they meet Galadriel and her. I guess it's her husband. I can't remember his name now. It's like Celeborn or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and they let them stay while they figure out what their next steps are going to be. And by the time they leave, they still don't really know what the plan is. Yeah. They really just don't have a plan. They don't have a lot. They don't have a lot of plans. Mm -hmm. it just kind of after so Aragorn is like okay I'm just trying to do what Gandalf wanted but now we're here and I don't know what to do next but they still don't really have a plan by the time they're supposed to leave and one of the things that happened while they're there is that Galadriel shows them her mirror and it's a magic mirror and it lets people see things that were and that are and that might be and she so shows Sam basically the the Shire being on fire um, and he's like, well, I need to leave. So I'm going to go home. And uh, then she's like, oh, but you're going to leave Frodo. And he's like, ah, dang. <laughs> I feel like this is the only time we really see Sam questioning his decision to stay with Frodo. Yeah. But this is also where we get Frodo just offering the ring to Galadriel. <laughs> like, do you want it? I'll give it to you freely. Like, you don't even have to ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And she has this really great speech, which I also really enjoy. And they take some creative liberties with this in the movie, but I really appreciate it as well. Cause she says, um, I shall be, I shall not be dark, but beautiful and terrible is the morning and the night. There is the sea and the sun and the snow upon the mountain. Dreadful as the storm and the lightning stronger than the foundations of the earth. All shall love me and despair. I just really appreciate this moment. Yeah, I highlighted that speech too. Mm-hmm. It's I, I really liked it. I liked her. I like the people they have like well, it's mainly her and Gandalf, but they have awareness of like, don't give me that ring because mm-hmm. I will not be good. Like I will succumb myself. And people who have that self-awareness are always great, I think. And she's kind of in like not a great place herself. Like everyone's kind of it's catch 22 in this situation, right? So mm-hmm. if he fails to destroy the ring, right? Like everything basically just goes to hell, right? Like, yeah. 
is our, uh, he takes over, it's awful, all that stuff, right? But if he succeeds, then like magic fades, um, pretty much, right? Um, yeah, their power is diminished and magic fades, and it's like, oh, that's kind of. I can see why some people would really want the ring to not be destroyed, right? Because yeah. magic is power. Um, and if it's like one of the things you've only ever really known um, as well, you know, picturing like a world without it and people without it has got to be weird and scary. Yeah. Although I think ultimately, like, if you don't want like Sauron to be like destroying the world, it's probably not that difficult of a choice for someone like a hobbit who's just yeah. kind of like, I just want to live in my hole and be happy. When I leave, Lothlorien, I feel like we're in the South and they're trying to say goodbye. <laughs> I don't know if they do this in New Jersey, but you never just leave anyone's house. Like you never just say goodbye and that's it. You say goodbye and then you have a conversation for five minutes and then you take a step closer to your car and you say goodbye again. And it's like, yeah, I'll see you later. And then you take another step closer to your car and you have another conversation for five minutes. And it takes like 20 minutes to actually leave anyone. It's never just, okay, bye. And you're gone. Mm -hmm. It's okay, bye. And now you're also leaving with like probably leftovers and an old butter container and, uh, <laughs> plans for next week and uh like you've heard a whole story about some people that you've never met in your family before like it takes a long time and that's what happens when they try to say goodbye so mm -hmm. the fellowship they say bye to everyone and then they get on the boats and they tell everyone bye again and then they're literally in the river paddling away when Galadriel and her boo roll up in a swan boat and they're like, oh, yeah, bye. But also, uh, let's go have a snack over here before you go. Just because you're leaving. And also, here's some presents. Okay, bye. But like, for real, bye. Bye. Bye now. <laughs> it takes forever to say goodbye. Yeah. I don't have that problem. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, occasionally it will. Like it, depending on like what we're doing, if we have to go just because it's late, but I still like just kind of want to hang out. Like then it becomes like this, like, oh, I'm going to leave. But then we keep talking. But like, otherwise, like I go to, you know, I went to my friends the other day and I was just like, all right, bye. I left the next morning. And like she was just in the kitchen. I was like, bye, bye. Yeah. That's not how things happen down here. Oh, I'm sure it I mean, saved y'all a lot of time though. Back to the gifts. I do like that all of the gifts are pretty practical, except first of all, they don't even have a present for Gimli. Like Word. Mary, Pip, Boromir, even Aragorn, Frodo, Sam, they've all got gifts, but the dwarf Gimli, they're like, yeah, we didn't know like what to get you. What do you like? Like, what do you want? And Gimli's like, yeah, I don't, I don't want anything. It's fine. I don't need a present. I don't want, I don't want anything. And they're like, no, but, but it's going to be rude if we don't give you something. So like anything that you want, what do you want? And he's like, I want your hair. <laughs> so weird. 
I would 100% would have been like, nope, and you're not welcome back. Shoved. <laughs> and I mean, it's not creepy when he says it. No, you know, he talks yeah. about, you know, dwarves have such a great appreciation of gold and golden things and pretty things. And their hair is like the prettiest gold thing he's ever seen before. And it's beautiful. And he's going to put it in a necklace when he gets home. But I also, I do really like that Galadriel gives everyone else else practical gifts, except Gimli, who they didn't even have a present for. But she gives Sam a box of dirt. I got a jar of dirt. She gives gives Sam dirt from her orchard to help him grow beautiful things. I think that is so sweet and thoughtful. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So if anyone would appre- if anyone would appreciate a practical gift, it would be Sam. Like mm-hmm. he gets really pumped about rope. I know. I should have brought rope. I, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love that her gift for him is just something that will help him make something beautiful. Yeah. So they finally leave. Mm-hmm. And you know, they're just kind of paddling their way along. Gollum is behind them pretending to be a log. Everybody knows about it, but nobody's talking about it. <laughs> oh, it's like when um, you play hide and seek with kids. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, where are they? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then they, you know, land, dock. I don't know. They park their boats. And get out and they're like, all right, we really do have to decide where, in fact, we are going to go from here. Mm-hmm. And Frodo's like, I can't take the pressure. I'm going to walk away from this and take an hour and then I will make up my mind at that point. And so he walks off. And nobody notices Boromir also creeping off too. But like lots of time goes by. Meanwhile, Frodo is trying to make his plan and Boromir is like, hey, you shouldn't walk off by yourself. You don't want to get lost or murdered. Can I see the ring, by the way? Uh, What are you thinking about doing with it? Can I just look at it? What if you just, what if you just come to my home for like a minute? So creepy. Why don't you get in my van? (laughs) (laughs) And then he asks Frodo, like, why don't you want to go? And he was like, or like, Frodo's like, I recognize your advice and I would follow it, but there's a warning in my heart that tells me that your motivations are not great. And Boromir's like, rude. he goes why are you so unfriendly what I feel like if he had just been nicer and less creepy about asking for the ring Frodo definitely would have just been like yeah here you go yeah yeah do you want it do you do you want to take it you want to wear it for a minute but yeah why are you so everyone else he also strikes me as somebody who would tell a woman like smile you're so much prettier when you smile yeah he strikes me as that kind of person yeah, Boromir goes from like innocuous to creepy very rapidly. Mm-hmm. And then he starts chasing him around and jumping <laughs> at him. And Frodo's like, Yeah, I'm putting a ring on. 
bye. <laughs> and he leaves. He's like, decision made. I'm just going to go by myself. <laughs> yeah. And then Boromir has like a literal tantrum. He falls down and just stays face down <laughs> crying in the dirt for a while. Oh, uh, the drama. Am I the drama? the drama? Yes. He goes back to the camp and everybody's like, where have you been? He's like, just talking. Just talking. Like, Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. <laughs> Sam's like, oh man, Frodo has already left. I know exactly what's happened. Mm-hmm. So he runs after him and that's the end of the book. He catches up to him and Frodo, he's like, Frodo, you're not leaving without me. And he literally throws himself into the water, even though he can't swim. Mm-hmm. Frodo has to save him. <laughs> like, All right. What were your, did you have a favorite quote from the story? I did. And somewhat. I don't know if it's ironic, but it's actually from one of the songs that I actually did read. Um, (laughs) And it's funny because it's one of the first songs too, which is probably why I read it. It's the one that um, Pippin is singing, right? Um, Near near the beginning. And he sings, home is behind the world ahead. And there are many paths to tread through shadows to the edge of night until the stars are all alight. I actually liked it. I love the home is behind the world ahead, right? We heard, we've heard that before. Um, was it in The Hobbit? I think it was in the movie for The Hobbit. You know what? I think it was in the movie for The Hobbit. Anyway, um, but it was pretty. And I like the home is behind you, the world ahead when you're leaving for an adventure um, with many past. I just, it's nice. Yeah, it's a nice group. Yep. Mm-hmm. I like this quote. I don't remember who says it. I think it's either Sam or Frodo maybe, but they say, go not to the elves for counsel for they will say both no and yes. They're just like wizards. (laughs) Yeah, they are. I mean, we were talking shit about wizards, but elves are kind of the same way. They like to speak in riddles and Mm -hmm. rhymes and stuff too. They're just as bad. (laughs) Well, they're like, there is that um, one scene where... Frodo is talking to um, Lady Galadriel. Galadriel. Lady Galadriel. And um, he's like, well, what do you think I should do? And she's like, I offer no counsel. I'm not a counselor. Like, lady, (laughs) come on. And she's like, why don't you look into this like mirror thing? Oh, you see an eye? Weird. I wonder what that is. Like, bitch. (laughs) I saw that too. What do you think you should do about it? Okay. Thanks for nothing. Well, that wraps up the Fellowship of the Ring. Join us next week. We'll be talking about the Two Towers, which is book two in this story. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.